Welcome to the Birthing Instincts Podcast. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein, community-based practicing obstetrician and longtime advocate for birth choices. And I'm Bliss Young, a licensed midwife. Join us in our conversational style podcast where we talk about everything birth. Sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, but we're happy that you're here. So here we go. This, this is a Soul Fire production. production. Are you good? I'm as good as I'm going to get today. You look good. Happy. Um, thanks. Happy, happy belated Valentine's Day to you. Happy love day, as I like to call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even though it'll two weeks from now <laughs> when this comes out. <laughs> Every day is love day. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? The world. Yeah, you, you just have to declare it. The, yeah, well, and everyone, it's nice if everyone around you would declare it also, but that's not necessarily how it works. <laughs> so, Bliss, I see that you're yeah. still in Santa Barbara. What happened? <laughs> feels so anticlimactic you know i'm like the big countdown and oh gosh i wonder if i'm the only person who does dumb stuff like this but maybe not but i'm gonna do a psa and let you guys know what happened was i went to the airport i was so excited i was like chatting with people in line i was gonna like on a plane in a couple of hours and i walk up and i show the woman my passport card I don't know if any of you have gotten this passport card. It looks just like an ID card. And I thought, well, this is cool and new because you don't have to carry around that big passport booklet. You just put it in your wallet, super convenient. And she said, oh no, you need your other passport. And I said, I don't have my other passport. And she said, this is only for Canada and Mexico if you're driving or going on a boat. (laughs) (laughs) It's on little tiny tiny words on the back and I was like she's like you need to get your other passport I said it's all the way in Santa Barbara there's nothing we can do and she said no and all I could do was just roll with the punches and I you know kind of interesting for me as a human being is reflecting back like as as a younger person I would have lost my you know what I would have cried I would have like been so mad at myself I would have like been wondering why God didn't like me you know all that drama And I was like, what are you going to do? Like, you know, so I drove back home to find my passport and come to realize none of my important documents are here. I didn't have a birth certificate. I didn't have anything. So um, my boys, long story short, my boys found it in my storage up in Sacramento because originally I was supposed to be living up there. So I, I had packed appropriately for the original plan, which changed. So they overnighted it to me. I bought a new ticket. Five days later, Today, I am going to be going on a plane. So no, no big deal. I mean, you know, it probably cost me another 1500 bucks, but money can be made again. Such a great philosophy because there are things that are beyond our control. And sometimes when they're in our control, we will fuck up and it happens. <laughs> we are human. Yeah. And so I got to spend Valentine's Day with my boyfriend and, you know, I had some really great visits with my clients yesterday. You and I get to record a podcast, which is going to be hard with the time change and everything. So it's all good. Are you, si- are, are you sitting in your RV? I am. I'm on Hope. Yeah. Okay. How come you're in Hope this morning <laughs> and not in your apartment? Um, Because I do a sublease and I had planned to take a trip when they were going to be visiting. So oh they're busy right now. Oh my God. That's right. Oh, yeah. so you're living in hope. Oh my, well, that's, that's kind of fun actually, I guess. And you didn't have any births because yeah. you, you didn't have anything planned, right? 
Right. Like, yeah, no. The last the last birth story I told was uh, the last one I had. Well, next week you'll be in Bali then, right? Next week I'll be in Bali and I'm hoping to do some births there with Robin Lim, who I'm going to visit there at her birth center. And so I might have some really interesting stories to tell next time I talk to you guys. And I am going to do an interview with Robin while I'm there for the podcast. That would be great. Okay. So let me bring you up to date on me. A couple things. First of all, I was in New Orleans for fun. I went Mm -hmm. with my ex and my son, Andy, to visit our stepson, my stepson, Alex. Um, just to give him some support there. He moved back there a year ago to be with his girlfriend, who's now pregnant. And we just thought it was a perfect yeah. weekend to go away. And we had a great time. Yeah, I'm going to be a step-granddaddy, which is kind of fun for me. And it was a really wonderful trip. I mean, we had some unbelievably good weather the last two days. We were there was in the 70s. Uh, we were walking around in short sleeves. We went to the French Quarter on the last day we were there before we flew back. So that was great. I also want to tell people that uh, I'm wearing my... Reteach Breach t-shirt from Fortville, Indiana. And I'm going to be in Hawaii next week to do an interview with Ellen Fisher on her podcast from her kitchen. So I'll give you the links to that when that comes up. I was also on the Birth Cafe podcast. I might have talked about that last week. And there's a link to that on my Facebook page on on a post. So you can go that. We talk about uh, Dr. Mama Jones critiquing Candace Owens, and I'm critiquing the critiquing. So that's yeah, uh, you you meant Instagram, right? A post on Instagram. Yeah. And also they could find it on the Birth Cafe podcast on their podcast app, whatever, you know, Spotify, whatever they use. Uh, We had a fresh snowfall yesterday on Valentine's Day, got about six inches of snow. I saw four deer uh, running down the down the road. It was just as gorgeous. Everything is coated with white because it was a wet snowfall. Mm -hmm. So it looks like a winter Mm -hmm. wonderland right now. It's really great. (laughs) And then I've noticed that the, the podcast released today that went on ultrasound seems to be very popular, getting a lot of, yeah. already, it's already just this morning and I'm getting a lot of questions, a lot of feedback on it. So I yeah. hope that people look back to that one. It's a very important topic. You know, the benefits of ultrasound are well known. The The possible problems with ultrasound are often diminished or never mentioned. So it's a good podcast for people to go to. And I have some follow-up on our talk with Joel Warsh. Orsh, which will be the podcast that came out mm-hmm. last week. And, you know, we did a lot of toxins. And at the end, you and I sort of wrapped up and we said there was the 800 uh, pound elephant in the room that wasn't mentioned. And that was, of course, vaccines. And also, I, um, I wanted to, we didn't also talk about one of the other toxins in the world that seems to be paralleling. And remember, correlation does not necessarily mean causation, but the rising C-section rate was also something that we forgot to mention. And I think next week you and I are going to talk about it. If you have time, I don't know if that'll fit into your schedule in Bali, but there's a documentary film out now called Microbirth, which I watched. It's yeah. about an hour long and it's really worth watching. So I'd recommend that to people listening. So maybe you can watch that before our next podcast. And then I'm reading an interesting book called The Cholesterol Myth, which is about something that I might've mentioned once or twice on the podcast about the pharmaceutical industry pushing statins and the whole idea of saturated fats being bad for you and and uh, pushing trans fats and all that stuff for for a long time. Just another example of how the CDC and the FDA have been pretty much wrong about everything. And that leads me to these couple things that have to do with Dr. Warsh's, you know, what was sort of left out of the podcast. And one was about the American Academy of Pediatrics. And I did an expose 
probably by myself a year or so ago about the, I mean, the American Medical Association. And this is very, this is an article by Barry Weiss. She writes on Substack and it's called The Hijacking of Pediatric Medicine. And I'm just going to read some of the highlights of it. You know, I took out my highlighter like I always do. So feel free to chime in. It says, one of the main focuses of this newsletter's reporting is the way honored institutions of American life have been hijacked or corrupted. We have documented the ideologic takeover of American medicine. The American Academy of Pediatrics is the nation's leading organization of pediatricians. Millions of families follow its pronouncements on children's health without skepticism or second guessing. The question is, should they? The American Academy of Pediatrics has 67,000 members and describes itself as, quote, dedicated to the health of all children, unquote. Now, I want to say something here about mission statements and things like that. We've talked about this on the podcast many times. You know what I'm going to say? What am I going to say? Um, that they're full of shit. <laughs> God, you've been around me too long. Okay, that's right. They're made by PR departments that have no idea, or maybe they perfectly have an idea of the fact that they're completely false. Hospitals have mission statements about respecting patient autonomy and decision-making and no coercion, and, and we know that every day they violate their mission statements. So the American Academy of Pediatrics was founded in 1930 as an offshoot of the American Medical Association, and it is first and foremost a standard-setting body. It outlines best practices for the nation's pediatricians, advises policymakers on public health issues, and for many parents, is the premier authority on raising healthy kids. In recent years, has also become a participant in America's culture wars. Judges have deferred to the group's expertise in high-stakes court cases. During the height of COVID, schools masked toddlers, including toddlers with speech delays, based on the guidance of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Sports leagues and after-school programs mandated the COVID vaccine after the American Academy of Pediatrics strongly recommended it, even as concerns mounted about its association with myocarditis or inflammation of the heart muscle in young males. Though the organization's guidelines are framed as the consensus position of the AAP's members, only a handful of physicians had a role in shaping them. This story shows how a small group of doctors with virtually unaccountable power can exert tremendous influence over public policy, even when a new crisis gives them an emergency mandate. In the last week of June 2020, with no end in the pandemic in sight, the AAP took a strong stance against school closures. The importance of in-person learning is well-documented, and there is already evidence of the negative impacts on children because of school closures in the spring of 2020, the group said in a statement. So they were against school closures. So what happened? Well, on July 6, President Trump tweeted, schools must open in the fall. It didn't take long for the American Academy of Pediatrics to buckle, and by July 10th, four days later, the organization issued a follow-up statement, this one co-authored with the teachers' unions, suggesting that in-person schooling would be impossible without substantial new investments from the federal government. Meanwhile, most European children returned to the classroom. When schools began to reopen, at first in red states, the group advised that every child, including toddlers, should remain masked for the duration of the day, despite the fact that AAP had until then stressed the importance of facial cues for early childhood development. The organization didn't just recommend masks, it lobbied politicians to require them. This is the organization, by the way, that, that a lot of pediatricians are members of because you have to be in order to be part of that community. And I know that I'm not going to speak for Joel Warsh, but I know that the, just the fact that he couldn't speak about these things tells you some of the tyranny that's going on, mm -hmm. right? Right. Yeah. Okay, as recently as August of 22, the AAP tweeted that there is no evidence that masks can harm childhood language development. 
pause for effect. Well, they moved, they moved a lot of the, um, just like we have talked milestones. about how they changed like the definitions and stuff. Yeah. They moved the milestones. And so you move the milestones and then you can easily say, well, there's no, there hasn't been a problem here. There's nothing to see here, people. <laughs> right. But prior to the pandemic, the AAP itself had argued that seeing faces is critical for early childhood development. In fact, according to a book that they published in 2018 called Developmental and Behavioral Pediatrics, published by the AAP, visually impaired children are slower to acquire adjectives and verbs than their sighted peers, and at younger ages are less likely to smile because smiling is learned by seeing others smile. Findings that raise concerns mm -hmm. about masks in schools. In August of 22 tweet, however, the AAP asserted that visually impaired children develop speech and language at the same rate as their peers. Mm -hmm. The question is, why would they do that? And that's because they're a political advocacy group, not a what's good for kids group. Very similar to ACOG, very similar to the AMA. Another AAP publication, this one geared toward parents and available at least since 2013, emphasized the link between, quote, FaceTime, unquote, and emotional health, unquote. For the only document to, only for the document to disappear from the AAB's website during the pandemic, an AAP spokesman attributed the disappearance to a web content migration. <laughs> You know, since when does anything disappear from the web unless it's purposeful? Right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. Interesting right. point. You can find anything on the web. And if you go to the Wayback website, you can find anything that's been deleted too. So mm -hmm. it's good. the AAP has been exceptionally aggressive in promotion of COVID-19 boosters for children, which have been linked to myocarditis, a potentially dangerous heart condition, especially in young men. The AAP didn't stop in advocating a third dose of the original vaccine. However, in September, it recommended that every child 12 years and older additionally receive the updated bivalent COVID booster, regardless of whether or not they had natural immunity from COVID. And despite the fact that healthy children rarely become seriously ill from the virus. Parents hesitated about the new booster, which was only tested in eight mice. We're told they shouldn't be hesitant. What the group doesn't tell these parents is that all these recommendations were the product of approximately a dozen doctors at an ad hoc COVID-19 response team. One pediatrician named Eliza Holland said, I have no idea who made these decisions. I wasn't even aware a COVID committee existed. Lastly, opposing these bureauc the bureaucracies, the COVID policies they formulated became a professional risk. One pediatrician said her bosses threatened to fire her for tweeting critically about the AAP's vaccine recommendations. Another pediatrician described how the president of her state chapter told her to pipe down about COVID restrictions if she didn't want loose funding for an academic program. At stake in all this, says Marty McCary, a surgeon in public policy research at Johns Hopkins Medical Center, is the credibility of the medical establishment itself. You think? There is some evidence, albeit anecdotal, <laughs> to justify McCary's fears. There's a little delay. You're, you're snickering today. There's no studies. What was the last thing you just said? Oh, I said that there are, there's some evidence, albeit anecdotal, to justify. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Albeit anecdotal. So there's no studies on that. So it can't, they can't, you know, say definitively <laughs> that, that person's position. No, that's way. why it's, that's why it's all political. Right. I mean, their position was exactly the opposite of the position they took until Trump spoke about it. And then they had to be anti-Trump. It's classic. And this has nothing to do with Trump. All right. I mean, it has to do with, with politics and stupidity and dumb doctor dogma everywhere. In particular, several pediatricians said that the AAP's zealotry around the COVID vaccine has raised parental concerns about other more well-established vaccinations. We've talked about this, you and I, right? People aren't seeing what they saw about COVID. Now they wonder, well, what about hepatitis? What about MMR? What about DPT? That's good. We should be questioning these things. Yeah. 
I think it's I think their their zealotry has backfired on them. They so want to push these things, probably because again, I'll just say it out loud, they're in the pocket of big pharma. Again, who supports these organizations? They're all supported by big pharma. And they believe that we're all stupid and that we're not going to critically think for ourselves. So we need to be doing that. We need to be critically thinking about what we're doing with our bodies and the health of our children. It's very important. Couldn't be anything more important, actually. No, no. Uh, (laughs) And when you watch the movie Microbirth, you're going to even be more impressed about how important it is, how we give birth and what we do in those early days to our children. Great. Awesome. Other doctors describe families who have developed a reflexive distrust of anything the AAP says. No shit. I now hear parents mock the AAP over non-political guidance like breastfeeding recommendations. They're just tuning everything out. Finally, for Vinay Prasad, a professor of epidemiology and biostatistics at the University of California, San Francisco, he says it's hard to blame them. The reason to trust modern doctors over ancient healers is more of what we tell you to do is justified by well-done studies, Prasad said. But how do we hold that perch when we just make stuff up? Yeah. Right. So that is uh, that is something I wanted to talk about last week, but... Yeah, it was uh, on the, uh, what do you call it? No-fly list. It was on the no-fly list. <laughs> <laughs> I heard a new term today. Yeah. Med- medical brainwashing. I kind of like it. It was trusting a post that Trusting Birth put out, who I really like for her stuff. Yes. Uh, and she was talking about like things, for example, how there could be a, we would blame home birth for an emergency, but not do the same thing when there's an emergency at the hospital, you know, or cause an, cause an issue at the hospital and then say, thank God you were here. Otherwise something might've happened or, you know, getting the vaccine and then getting COVID and saying, well, if I hadn't had the vaccine, maybe I would have died. You know, these kind of, these kind of things that we just start to believe and as a culture pass around, but really. There was a post on Instagram today where somebody took some clips from the business of being born. I don't know if you saw the post talking about the cascade of interventions and all that. And it's 15 years old, I think, that the documentary is now. Mm-hmm. And I reposted it and I said, you know, sad that some things never change. Yeah. Because yeah. it's still exactly the same. It's probably worse even. Yeah. yeah. Right? One other toxin I want to talk about, which, again, it will be old news by the time this comes out. But if anybody lives anywhere near eastern Ohio and you can fog a mirror, not a let, let alone be pregnant, be very, very careful because of the thing that happened in East Palestine with the train and and all the and all the chemicals that were released into the atmosphere and into the drinking water and stuff like that. I don't know what's going to happen to that town. Can you imagine buying a house there last year thinking oh this is our nest egg and then your your town will probably be destroyed and your real estate values go to zero and not only that but I mean your health is threatened and you know you won't know for 10 15 20 years you're going to be worried now that you've been exposed to something. So we live in a world that's full of these things. We've got to be very, very dis- discriminating about, you know, where we live and what we eat and what we breathe and what we take into our body willingly, never by mandate. Right. Exactly. Salty yeah. AF. I have my salty AF water bottle here. Um, <laughs> Element is one of our sponsors, LMNT, and they are a tasty electrolyte drink with all of the good stuff and none of the... BS, like us. Like us. Right. I love when you say that. It's, I look forward to it every week. 
It's got electrolytes in it, which is what you really need when you need a, a replenishment, when you're sweating, when you're working out, when you're in labor, when you've been up for 80 hours uh, <laughs> taking care of somebody in labor. Yeah. It would have been good. You might have been more refreshed if you would have had your element. And I probably would have. Right. It's really good for those sorts of situations. And it's and uh, it, it's so much better than some of the other drinks which have sugar or other fake sugars or things in them, as you know, that I drink. I shouldn't, but I do. So um, and it comes in multiple flavors. Bliss's favorite is uh, uh, mango chili and mine is raspberry, mm -hmm. but it comes in. Let's see, I think I got to memorize now citrus and raspberry. Well, raspberry is my favorite and um, orange and lemon habanero and uh, watermelon, watermelon, unflavored, and unflavored and, and chocolate. chocolate salt. Right. Anyway, if you go to drink element dot com that's drink com and put in the code word birthing instincts you'll get a free sample pack with any order uh please uh support them as they support the podcast and we just want to send our gratitude to them thank you element thanks element okay what do you got what do i got well i'm going into letters and you you sent me one so do you want to talk about your message that you got because i've got a whole bunch of really good ones and they're fairly short except one <laughs> One's not so short. Yes, um, sure. I had a listener on Instagram ask us to talk about our business as solo home birth. It says midwife, but also to you as a doctor. How many clients we take, what are our transfer rates, C-section rates, costs for care, work-life balance, etc. I did look back. You and I did an episode called Life Work Balance, which was episode 225. So you can go back and listen a little bit more if you want to hear us talk about what are the things that we do to kind of keep ourselves sane and healthy. You're not on call as much as you used to, but you did it for over a decade. So you definitely have that. I mean, home birth. Home birth. Yeah. Right. I did. I mean, I was on call for 40 <laughs> years. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I think we're really lucky here in California to, for the in the respect of we do charge a good amount of money for our services because of the cost of living here. I have gone to other states and, and been pretty shocked at what midwives are charging. But just so you know, I think here between San Francisco and Los Angeles, the going rate is anywhere between, I would say newer midwives might still be charging around $5,000, but I'm not, up in the Bay Area, it's as much as nine thousand, and I charge here in Santa Barbara seven thousand dollars for my services, and that is everything. So my prenatal care, labor and delivery, it includes paying my assistant, and then the six weeks postpartum care, and being on call and available for people if they need to talk or talk, you know ask questions. So that's my fee. You know, I've been around the country. Work. I I just no no, I'm not going to talk about mine because mine's sort of unique. I mean, I charge much more than that, somewhere between 10 and 18, 20 and 18, depending on, um, mm -hmm. you know, the history and whether it's twins and whether it's prime hip or multip or how far away it is or what the distance, you know, that sort of thing. But that's not really, I mean, most of the people doing that aren't going to be doing what I'm doing. And anybody, by the way, any mm -hmm. physician out there who wants to do what I'm doing, please feel free to reach out to me. I'll set up a meeting with you. We'll, I'll talk till you, your ears fall off. But <laughs> when I travel, I, some midwives charge as low as 3500 and then well then you know midwestern states and stuff like that but you know i don't know how they make a living on that we can talk about it and then it's up to, up to what you guys charge in in the 
in California. I don't really know anybody that charges higher than that. I haven't really been on the East Coast yet. I'm curious to what midwives might charge in New York or Boston. I'd probably charge more. But San Francisco is the highest I've ever heard. So New York might be comparable with that. Yeah. And then the question is, if you whatever you charge, you have to base that on how many births you're taking a month. So what do you think about that? So in LA, I my goal was to take between three and four a month. And sometimes I took as many as six just because, you know, it ended up being people that I really wanted to care for it in a particular month and, you know, someone who got pregnant again or something like that. But I'm not interested in doing that many births. But that is, you know, from what I can tell from talking to midwives over decades, about four births as a solo midwife is about the average that is good in terms of a work-life balance and not having overlap and stuff like that. I think start to do more than that and gets pretty busy, but I think midwives enjoy being that busy. I don't know. But for me right now, I'm taking between one and three births a month here in Santa Barbara. And that feels like a nice, easy pace where I am really available and people can get all of me. And I don't feel like it's too much to be able to give generously, you know, which is what I want to be able to do. Yeah. And the different model is when you work at a hospital with a group of physicians or you're a hospitalist, I mean, you may, you may end up with 20 to 40 births a month, which is a crazy number, which is obviously the model is completely different. When I started doing home birthing, I, I followed what the midwives taught me. Uh, My first mentor was Carney Seymour Brown. She's a midwife in Ventura. And that four the four birth a month rule was pretty much standard. And I tried to stick with that, but I always ended up with more because I ended up with people the last minute who were breached or needed a vacuum. And busiest month I ever had, I had 13 in one month in January, I think of 2020 or 2021. I can't remember which year it was. And that was crazy. Mm-hmm. That was crazy. So, mm-hmm. but it worked out because we had such a great community here that if yeah. I was at one birth and somebody else was in labor, then the midwife that was supposed to be with that client would go there and I would bring another midwife with me. And then I would drive from one place to the next, sometimes, you know, going way across town to rush to catch a breech baby. Famously like Kimberly Vanderbeek's baby. I got there with like eight minutes to spare because <laughs> I was at another <laughs> breach up in Ventura at the same time. So yeah, that's stressful. You don't really want to do that. You really don't. So I want to talk a little bit about transfer rates because I think that, you know, the question also included that with multi-ups, I think the transfer rates about zero or one percent would you agree yeah no zero you can't do zero but less than one less than one percent yes of a um woman who's already had a vaginal delivery to need to transfer is very very low and what what is your transfer rate for first-time moms or first-time v-backs um it's somewhere between eight and ten percent depending on the year yeah and that is usually non-urgent transports you know for more, you know, because labor tends to be longer and women sometimes don't know what to expect. And so they sometimes want to go in and get some rest and get an epidural and try something different because they've been laboring for a really long time. So, yeah, yeah. I think mine was a little higher. You know, I think mine was close to for, for first time moms was close to 80, 84%. I mean, 16 to 20% would end up getting transferred, not 80%. Oh my God. All right. So I think that was from Birth and Boobs, right? Yeah, from Birth and Boobs. Thanks, Birth and Boobs. <laughs> yep, that's awesome. Okay. So I have some real quick ones. Here's one from June. 
And she says, good morning, Dr. Stu and Goddess Bliss. <laughs> we got our first one. <laughs> Lord. <laughs> yeah, this is this is actually from this morning. So so they heard the podcast. It's great. Such great followers, don't we? I just love our followers. It's just so they're so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> she says, I hope you both are well and June we are. So the question, I'm 32 weeks pregnant and have been doing water aerobics for about two weeks now, 45 minutes to an hour a day, five days a week. Great. Should I be concerned in regards to the effect this may have on baby turning head down? My last appointment, she she did appear to be head down, but I don't have my next appointment until February 24th. So I don't want to keep doing something that may have an adverse effect, although I'm loving being weightless. Thank you so much for the knowledge you share. I have enjoyed listening to the podcast throughout pregnancy and will continue postpartum best June thoughts. I would just avoid inversions. You know, when we try and turn a baby from breech to head down and using the pool, usually do like somersaults and, and inversions and stuff like that. So if you're just kind of jogging and lifting your legs and moving your arms around in the pool and enjoying it, it sounds like a great form of exercise for you. Totally agree. And I also said that anything that makes you as happy as you seem to be doing water aerobics <laughs> is something that you should be doing because all those great feelings you're having, you're sharing with your baby and yeah. nothing could be more important. Plus, it's great for your physical you know, your body as well. You're getting some cardio with no strain on your body. Don't worry about the baby. 97% of babies are going to be head down just whether you are in the pool or not in the pool. And if by chance your baby is breech, however, make sure you don't just settle for what your doctor says you have to have a C-section. You know, everybody knows if they're listening to this podcast, they know how we feel about that. So yeah. thanks, you. Yeah, no, keep keep at it. Okay, this one, I love this one because this is from Malaysia. Yeah, the, I love that. And the next one's from Dubai. So we, this is, I love the fact that we're reaching out to all these people. Yes. So this is from, hope I'm pronouncing her name right, Fayadha. And she says, hi, Dr. Stewart. My name is Fayadha from Malaysia, and I am a medical doctor. And I respected patient autonomy and choices. I have a request from a lady who is a Gravita 9 Para 8 with all previous vaginal births. Can you tell people who are not providers what that means? Yeah, it means she's been pregnant nine times and she has eight children. So you could, Mm -hmm. or eight deliveries. She could have 10 children Mm -hmm. because she could have had two sets of twins. But it's how many times you've been pregnant, how many times you've delivered. So this woman has had nine pregnancies, no miscarriages, and eight babies. Whether or not they're premature or not, I, I don't know, but I'm assuming they're all normal. That's that's the point. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is she considered high risk for home birth for the risk of postpartum hemorrhage or adne? As usual, the government hospital will not allow of such cases to be home birth. But in our culture, since many years ago, women gave birth to 10 to 12 children at home with midwives before good hospitals became easily available for us. Hmm, good hospital. Good hospital. <laughs> that could be an oxymoron. Could be. Kindly give your opinion. Any decision is not solely based on that. I would appreciate other point of view other than traditional practitioner in government hospital. Thank you so much in advance. I love I love how polite people from other countries are. It's great. <laughs> well, here's what I told her. I said, I can only speak in general terms, but a grand multip is not a contraindication by any means for a home birth with a midwife. Ideally, the midwife carries meds for hemorrhaging and IV fluids. In my experience, most grand multips do not hemorrhage. So to have that rule that paints them all with a broad brush is typical of bureaucrats, but not ethical. I don't know how it works in your country, but we don't think hospitals should be dictating what women choose. In the words of one of my colleagues, you are not allowed to not allow me. And I personally, you know, the woman's had, she's been a grand multip for her last four births (laughs) at home. 
Yeah. Yes. So, so why is the ninth one any different than the eighth one or the seventh one or the sixth one? Other than right. somebody at the hospital is probably giving her crap or maybe honoring this woman's desire to have a home birth. Right. So, of course, I agree with you on this one. <laughs> you know, from a midwifery perspective, you, there is an increased risk of hemorrhage with with grand mole tips. So it's being aware, informing the mom, making sure that we do really good preventative care. You know, something you could even offer mom like that is active management where you would actually have an IVN and, and, you know, give Pitocin right away and all of that because of the increased risk. If that made everybody feel more comfortable, that is something that for some midwives that can carry medication is within our scope. Again, you know, what you said about them making the decision of whether or not you can deliver at home is unacceptable. That's your choice. You should be able to make it. Thank you, Fadaya. Thank you. Um, this next one is from Clarka in Dubai. Cool. And this one, this one is she reports having a ne- necessary cesarean. And since we spent a lot of time talking about unnecessary cesareans, I mm-hmm. thought it would, she tells a good story here. So. I had an emergency cesarean section on September 30th at 40 weeks and five days in Dubai. I woke up around 5 a.m. to use the bathroom and passed a huge blood clot, almost the size of my palm, and was slightly bleeding. It was not too much blood, but after talking to my doula, I went to the labor ward to get checked. I got a bit worried because I wasn't sure if it's the mucus plug or something. My baby was moving, so I knew she was fine. I love that. Just that sense of confidence. They did another scan, and I was told the placenta is very close to the os again. 1.3 1.3 centimeters. Last scan was three to four centimeters. I don't know if she means 3.4 or three to four, but it doesn't matter. They're both the same. But the bleeding stopped. It's very unusual, by the way, for a placenta, to, if it's pulled away, to actually get closer. So a lot of it has to do yeah. with the state of the uterus contracting or not contracting. When the uterus is contracting, it looks different than when the uterus is not contracting. So that's why one of the flaws of using distance from the internal os as a parameter to whether or not someone with a low-lying placenta should it be allowed to labor or not? And having one size fits all algorithm to me is wrong. And we've talked, we, we recently talked about something like this. When my doctor came, she wanted to do a C section immediately, but I wanted to be monitored because the bleeding had stopped, but she refused. She said she can't do that because if something happens, they will go after her for not following the guidelines. Pause. So this poor doctor went to medical school, residency hours and hours and hours of training, but now has to follow the guidelines. She can't make an individual decision based on the fact that this woman had one episode of bleeding, is not bleeding now. And if she doesn't recommend exactly what the guidelines recommend, she's going to find herself in trouble. This and is, she's decli- and the mom is declining it. She does not matter. want the... Right. This is, what, this is where corporate medicine has led us. Well, among many other places, it's led us to... <laughs> It was, it was noon when the whole medical team came to check on me, surrounding my bed and pushing for the cesarean. But I didn't agree because there was no more bleeding. Good for My her. husband grabbed my hand, and after signing some documents, we left. On the way to the car, I started bleeding again. And it was many more blood, like a heavy period, than in the morning, which made me worried. Me and my husband discussed everything in the car and decided to go back, knowing we did maximum to keep the little one inside and fought hard. But sometimes there are situations in our lives that we cannot control. Yes. <laughs> Like, where's Steve my passport? <laughs> okay. No, that's that piece of wisdom is so important. So this is a very wise person. I was very yeah. sad and upset because I wanted a natural birth so much. 
I discussed all my wishes with my doctor, and she agreed with everything we wanted. When getting the epidural, my husband was with me, holding my hand, and the doctor held my other hand. I had soft music playing in the background. The medical team was quiet, and I got my baby girl immediately on my chest. Beautiful. Nobody pushed us for any measurements or checks, neither vaccines or vitamin K. Everybody respected our decisions. The surgery went well, and the doctor said I lost almost two liters of blood. So I'm not so sure that that sentence, the surgery went well, and I lost two liters of blood, should be in the same sentence, but which was a lot for a C-section. I had to stay in bed for almost 30 hours because I had something like a balloon with some liquid inside my uterus. Mm -hmm. So they ended up putting a Bakri balloon mm -hmm. in her uterus. Not sure why their uterus wouldn't contract down. A low-lying placenta is, you know, could bleed a little bit more, but, but anyway, it worked. So that's good to know that technology sometimes can do good things. Mm -hmm. I think you were talking about this when we answering a question about low-lying placenta in one of your podcasts. What surprised me a lot was my recovery. It was super fast and nearly no pain. I'm a very fit woman, being training, been training a lot in the past years, and I'm sure that helped a lot. For the first three weeks, I kept questioning myself if it was the right decision, but I guess that in my case, there was nothing else we could do. That is correct. You couldn't do anything else. Not safely. I'm going to repeat myself, mm -hmm. but I can't thank you enough for hearing me out and being such a great support. And then I said, yes, sometimes a cesarean is necessary and life-saving. You did everything you could to be sure that this was true in this case. I'm glad you and baby are well. So appreciate you sharing. Enjoy your little one and love to your new family. But I just thought that this was a good story. She yeah. stood up for herself. The doctors initially were a little obtuse, but then when they listened to her and she came back, nobody panicked. They, they let her do her thing. This is a model. Why can't cesarean section was done relatively urgently because she was bleeding. Why can't all elective sections at least be done this way? Mm -hmm. Skin to skin. Yeah. Music in the room, husband present for the epidural or the spinal. The idea yeah. that that we still have to keep husbands out of the room while the anesthesia, it's an old anesthesia thing. Yeah. I mean, to me, it implies the anesthesiologist is not, com is not confident. If they're worried about the dad fainting, then have the dad sit on the floor, but have him. It's a life event. Don't exclude them. So it was really nice. Thoughts? Um. No, that all sounds, that all sounds great. I'm glad that we share, you know, both sides of the story and sometimes C-sections are needed. And it does sound like she had a, a really positive experience. What I did want to say is that, you know, probably what she did when she signed those papers is she signed out against medical advice. So mm -hmm. AMA and, and, you know, that is something that is available to you. It's, can be challenging. And sometimes when, especially when it comes to a baby, they could, as we've spoken about before, they could, you know, threaten with CPS and stuff like that. But just so you know, when you don't have necessarily the same, uh, you don't agree with what the doctor is recommending, then you can request, you know, say, I understand. Thank you for your recommendation. And we would like to sign any form saying that we're going against your medical advice. And that, that should be sufficient for a provider. You know, I can remind people also that if they want to, they can reach out to me. And I have this form that you and I sort of worked on with Hermine and Greg about medical hospital tyranny and what you what your rights are. So I have this form. I should probably get you a copy so that you can put it on your website as well. But they can find it on the website under the document section. So Bliss, let's talk about one of our sponsors, Needed, and all their great products. Yeah, and I uh, hope you guys caught the episode with uh, with Julie, where we talk all about her births and 
relationship and how she developed this company because, you know, Stu and I are really particular about how, who we bring on to partner with and Needed is an amazing company and they have really put a lot of effort into making sure that you guys are getting amazing, good quality products. And we want to pass that on to you. One of the things I really love about Needed's line besides the attention to detail is that they do have a powdered prenatal vitamin for those of you who, you know, maybe don't really like to take pills or are feeling nauseous. And it's something that you can add into a smoothie with beautiful collagen protein that they have available as well and, and get you need. And then they also have that amazing line of uh, men's products too, and preconception partnering the preconception before you're actually even pregnant. So, and then what about this new product that they just, yeah, well, you you? first of all, go to thisisneeded.com and check out their whole menu of different items and and pick out the ones that seem the, to fit your needs, but they have a new one. It's called egg quality support. It's for women considering getting pregnant and it combines five targeted and optimally dosed antioxidants to improve egg quality and support related fertility outcomes. This is one of the only egg quality products and the only egg quality support on the market that does not contain overlapping ingredients you'll find in a prenatal like folate. In addition, we've created our egg quality support plan to even further optimally nourish those trying to conceive. The egg quality support plan pairs our new egg quality support with our standalone CoQ10 in the active antioxidant form Ubiquinol. So try their new product and try all their old products and support them because they support us and go to uh, go to thisisneeded.com, use the code word birthing instincts, all caps, and you'll save 20% off you know, one time order or the first three month subscription at thisisneeded.com, code word birthing instincts. Thanks needed. Thanks needed. First dumb doctor dog was a little short and this is from a listener. She just, she just signs it from a listener. So. <laughs> Hi, Dr. Stu. I was supposed to have a midwife appointment today, but she had an OB fill in for her as she was sick. This OB concluded that I'm a bit overweight. I need to have two ultrasounds in my third trimester because of the increased risk that they won't be able to feel if I have a small baby. Then she proceeded to say overweight women tend to have large babies and also said my belly is measuring far ahead of my gestation. Now, from how I've read, you're supposed to measure the belly. She seemed to have purposely started from the wrong point for an exaggerated number. Don't know if that's true Mm -hmm. or not. Even though I'm in quite the normal range when I look at studies. So she's, let's recap. So she's a bit overweight. She needs to have two ultrasounds because the baby might be small, but babies are usually big. Okay, are you getting this? All right. Mm -hmm. She tried all the gaslighting and fear tactics to push for vaccinations, extra tests. This is, by the way, a a doctor filling in for a midwife. Right, right. Not her client. She's just filling in. Right extra tests and extra unnecessary ultrasounds, which are costing me an arm and a leg. I'm going for another appointment in four weeks. And if I have the same experience with the doctor they booked with the appointment with, I'm fully prepared for a quote, wild unquote pregnancy here on out. Meaning I think she's going to stand up for herself or find um, find another path. No, wild pregnancy means that you don't have any care. You just just are pregnant. Unassisted, unassisted, you do it, no prenatal care. And the pregnancy is called wild. I mean, these are terms that people are using. Oh, I never yeah. heard that term before. Well, thank yeah. you, listener, mm-hmm. for that. But again, I mean, you're you're covering for a midwife's patient. First of all, why why is the midwife working with a doctor who doesn't understand midwifery care? 
And I mean, I, I don't know what kind of, I don't know if this is a, a doctor practice, hospital-based midwife, whatever. I don't really know, but I'm assuming that's what the case. Because when would you ever ask a doctor to cover your practice for a day when you're sick? Only you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've done that actually. You know, I've seen yeah. clients for some of the other midwives that I shared office space with all the time if they were out sick or whatever. But even when I was at in Century City and I was with Howie and Jason and George and Irwin and stuff, and one of them was out at a delivery or something, and my secretary would come on, can you see Jason's patient? Because he's at a delivery for an OB. And I and I did things different than Dr. Rothbart did. Yeah. But I just treated them as if I was Dr. Rothbart. I didn't try to convince them to do things that were not the model by which they were chose to be cared for. That wasn't my role yeah. as a, as a fill-in physician. So again, it's just it's sort of a it's an obtuse behavior of of not realizing that no situational awareness of what you're dealing with. And why are you talking about her with vaccinations and extra tests and and all that stuff? A visit where you're just covering, right? Right. I mean, if the woman brought it up, that's one thing, but I can guarantee you this listener didn't bring it up. Okay. Right. This one gets worse. Oh, okay. So this is from, I'm going to leave this person anonymous. I'm not sure that she cares, but I'm just going to do it anyway. Um, she titles it Placenta Accreta and Medical Gaslighting. All right. Hi, Dr. Stu and Bliss. In the future, it's Goddess Bliss. <laughs> no, it's not. Everybody. Okay. I have no. to thank you. You're in trouble. I told you you're in trouble. I have to thank you from the from the bottom of my heart for doing what you you do and sharing all that you share. I don't know why it took me so long to find your podcast, but God has impeccable timing nonetheless. You know, there's got to be a reason why you couldn't you didn't have your passport. Yeah. You know, there just is. There's always silver lining someplace. Exactly. To introduce myself, I'm so and so. I have given birth to two my two children in the safety and comfort of a birthing pool in my living room. I'm currently pregnant. So she's had two home births in the water. Mm -hmm. I'm currently pregnant with my third baby and due in early May. My husband and I are planning on another home birth for this pregnancy too. We're excited to be working with Jesse of Gold Soul Midwifery in Long Beach, California for this pregnancy. Our doula and Bradley Method coach, Pauline Scharf, will be our doula again for this birth. I love to give shout outs to these people. Having the experiences I've had in home birth and learning all that I have has led me to fall in love with all of it. I'm currently studying to become a Bradley coach and doula. I'm so excited to be helping women feel educated and supported in the decisions they make around pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. As happy as I am to be pregnant again, this pregnancy has been the most emotionally challenging time of my life, and I felt compelled to reach out and share my story with you both. I apologize for the length and detail, but I do feel it all matters. And, I, and by the way, the introduction was important. So now we know your background. So now the story has much more context to it. My husband and I decided that since this is our third pregnancy and home birth, we wanted to be, it to be our most hands-off pregnancy. We have Kaiser as our insurance provider. Kaiser, for people who don't know, is a big HMO in the Western United States. Uh, so they're our, they're insurance provider, but we pay our midwife and doula out of pocket for their services, which we talk about all the time as a really mm -hmm. good plan. Say why. You have, a good, you have a good theory about uh, why this is not something you should just rely on your insurance for. Well, because it's a life experience. It's, you know, we think about insurance because we pay into it and it's so ridiculous that it should pay for all of our quote unquote medical situations. But this is not necessarily a medical thing. It's more of a life experience. And so I think what you're pointing to is my, uh, my wedding analogy. Yeah. It's been a while since we've talked about it. So you could do it briefly and just tell the people. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I just started thinking one day, like, you know, all the money that we spend on our weddings, you know, people put things on credit cards and do all these things to have this beautiful day. But when it comes to the birth of our babies, we just turn over all of our choices to an insurance company. And so I said, you know, what if, what if we had wedding insurance and, you know, you paid into it and then it came time and someone picked your dress, they invited people you didn't want, the food was terrible, you hated the location, you know, I mean, there's no woman in the world that would do that. And so if we think about it in the same way, of course, you know, put it on a credit card, save up some money, ask, ask for gifts. This is a day that you will never forget. And then if you need those medical things that we've talked about, like you need to go in for some reason, then you have the insurance as a backup. Thank you. Yes. It's more, it's, it's just, it's so important because the you can't get what you want from most hospital models. You're not going to get it. It's going to be a struggle. You're going to be stressed. None of those things are good for your pregnancy, good for the developing fetus inside of you. So she you goes know, on. Just, oh, go ahead. You know, it's, that you bring this up because right now in my care, I have a woman who's having her fourth baby, her first home birth. She's a Kaiser client. And just yesterday we had this great visit and she said, this is the best pregnancy I have had. I have very little stress. Every time I come in, you just make me feel like I'm just having a beautiful pregnancy. And I'm like, that's what I want for my clients. And she has been trying to get her blood type from Kaiser for weeks and weeks and weeks. She called him on the phone. She said, I have three babies with you. You guys have to have my blood type somewhere. And it's just ridiculous. The amount of stress and strain that these people go through just to get what they need, you know? So anyway, yeah, I do. And, and by the way, this isn't necessarily a bashing Kaiser session, but, it, but sometimes Kaiser deserves bashing. And so we'll, I'll read on, read on having home births, having home births has never saved us money, but we know it saved us heartache and shown us the power in the design of birth. So a nice way to summarize what you just said about the wedding thing. Okay, we chose to have the 20-week anatomical ultrasound and routine labs done through Kaiser since it's part of what our insurance does cover. And all, almost all my clients who have Kaiser will do that as well. But there's potential pitfalls from that. So here we go. I reached out to Kaiser. Mine, to, what's that? Mine don't. Mine just pay out of pocket. I mean, maybe the ultrasound, but the labs end being so much less. So anyway. I, I reached out to Kaiser to schedule my first prenatal with them at 16 weeks. They said they didn't see any openings and would call me back. They never called me back. So I called them back at 18 weeks. I got scheduled an appointment two weeks after that. I went into the appointment knowing I didn't want to be there, but I had to jump through this hoop to get my 20-week anatomic ultrasound. The OB was rude, condescending, and made jokes about not forcing anything on me because that's against the law, and he didn't want to go to jail. He even held his wrists together to imitate being handcuffed. You think that was funny? I guess. He tried to make me seem like a negligent mother for not coming in for an appointment before 20 weeks. I was quick to point out that I attempted scheduling an appointment one month prior, but none were available. He apologized and said they were understaffed. Funny how quick he was to berate me first, though. Yes. I learned at that appointment that I'm a genetic carrier for cystic fibrosis. The nurse that informed me made me it seem like that information had been in my file for a while, and she was surprised that I didn't know. Who knows how long that information has been in my file, possibly through both of my previous pregnancies. I was immediately alarmed and worried for my baby. My husband and I learned that we could have him screened to find out if he's also a carrier so that we could be prepared for the possibility that a child could be born with cystic fibrosis. He was tested and we found out that he's not a carrier. 
So I just want to comment on the fact that there is a lab in there with an abnormal value. It's not something that's really worrisome. About one out of every 35 Caucasian people are carriers of cystic fibrosis. The chance of two cystic fibrosis carriers getting married is one out of 35. Well, it's one out of 35 times one out of 35 times one out of four is having a child with cystic fibrosis. It's a very small number. Nonetheless, to have this in the chart and have the woman not know it, it was, was wrong because you could easily test the dad two pregnancies ago. We finally got to our 20-week anatomical ultrasound. It was a very long appointment because my baby wasn't cooperating for the tech to get the images and the angles they needed. Funny, we just talked about this long scanning period. I was recovering from a nasty respiratory infection at the time, and I asked if I could have a cough drop in my mouth during the ultrasound to prevent me from coughing during, since I knew I was laying flat on my back, would probably trigger a coughing fit. Despite sucking on my cough drop, I had multiple coughing attacks during my ultrasound. Not sure why she's telling us that. Maybe that's why it made it tough, tougher for the tech. We finished the ultrasound and we're told we get the results online typically in a day. I got the results 24 hours later. Nobody warned me that I probably shouldn't read it if I didn't want to know the sex of the baby, which I was clear about with the tech. The report listed the sex of the baby and also listed in the notes section that we asked not to know the sex of the baby. <laughs> okay. Bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I have to admit that one, one time in my entire career did I, did I make a mistake and give away the sex because I didn't look carefully at enough of the notes. You're a human. You're a human. I am. Yes. I, I realize that more every day when I try to get out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm human. Um, the report wasn't easy for me to read, but I did see that it mentioned a fibroid and that it said follow-up recommended. I emailed the OB and asked I had seen and asked if I could schedule at the minimum a phone appointment to go over my results. The following day, a nurse responded on his behalf and told me I'd need to call the OB hotline to schedule an appointment. I called and scheduled a, for a Kaiser midwife to go over my results with me. See, the system is so impersonal and non-caring that mm-hmm. it couldn't get on the phone and, and put her mind at ease immediately. You know, you've got to jump through these cubicle hoops. When she called me, she told me that I had a cyst which panicked me and confused me because that's different than a fibroid. She then said I'd have to have a follow-up MRI. I started crying and demanding to know why. She said there was a hyperechoic area of concern. I asked what they were trying to rule out and she couldn't answer me. She said the high-risk OB who ordered the MRI would have to call me to explain. So now they have somebody that can't really give her answers, give her answers, which of course is makes the proverbial thing. It raises more questions than answers when that happens. Right. And so doesn't help her pregnant mom at all. Is it a cyst? Is it a fibroid? Mm -hmm. Well, later on, you'll find out it was neither, but I'll I'll preempt the story. Mm -hmm. I was obviously distraught and very emotional. I had never had an MRI, yet alone while pregnant. This was so differing than my first two uneventful pregnancies. The following day, an RN, not the high-risk OB called, she said they had to rule out placenta accreta. That's out of the blue. Mm -hmm. I had heard of placenta previa and placenta abruption, but I hadn't heard of placenta previa I mean, she, I think she meant accreta. So I asked her to explain what she meant. She says that's when the placenta attaches too deeply into the uterus and sometimes into the surrounding organs and can't be safely separated. Between my tears, I asked what the treatment would be. And she said early C-section and hysterectomy to avoid hemorrhaging. I got off the call and called my husband hysterical and sobbing. You can see where this is going, by the way, mm-hmm. only because of, it's me reading it. But how could I not even be 30 and might have to have a hysterectomy? My mind, my mind started spiraling. I may not be able to have any more children. If I had to have an early C-section, the baby would probably have to go to the NICU. Would I even be able to breastfeed this baby like I did my other two? I was beyond devastated and felt so lost. 
this is exactly the, the story of my friend Desiree that we did on an episode. I wish I, I knew the number, but um, so if those of you who are interested, well, we I've did got, have a- got that coming up. No, you don't have to look it up. I've got it coming up. Don't even look it up. Okay, okay good. Because this woman writes a really good story. I mean, she's telling exact, and I have no doubt that everything she wrote down here, she probably journaled at home because it's so complete. The MRI was scheduled for early January. So this is all happening in mid-December, telling her she has all these things, but they make her wait three weeks to get the mm -hmm. MRI. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell a side story there. I have seen patients who at Kaiser, they went in for their like their 10-week visit and the midwife or the doctor couldn't find a heartbeat. And so they scheduled them for an ultrasound in two weeks. And the doula would call me and say, Stu, can you see these people? I said, yeah, have them come over right now. Yeah. And sometimes we'd find a heartbeat. Sometimes we'd find a fetal demise or blighted ovum. But to make a person wait two weeks, telling mm -hmm. them that we can't find the heartbeat, are they, mm -hmm. are they human? Did they, where did they lose their humanity? Where did that happen? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the MRI was scheduled for early January, which meant my husband and I would have to make it through Christmas and New Year's with this looming over us. It was a very dark time for us, and we didn't feel like the holiday season at all. I cried every day for almost two weeks. But after those two weeks, I started feeling angry and my researching personality kicked in. I started reading medical journals and articles online. I started watching and listening to interviews from the nation's top Accreta specialists. I learned that the only quote risk marker quote I had for Accreta was that I had given birth more than once, but I didn't have any of the most important risk markers. And we've talked about those. I never had a C-section. I never had a uterine surgery. I never had IVF. I wasn't over 35. There's that number again. And I didn't have placenta previa. I was so mad when I learned the statistical rates of Accreta. Why hadn't someone taken the time to go over these with me? And by the way, they never told her what they saw on the ultrasound that made them be suspicious of it at all anyway. She never got an explanation mm -hmm. of that. I shared what I had learned with my husband and our family and friends. My husband understood what I was sharing, but hearing that I may have Accreta from a, quote, medical professional, unquote, really shook him up. Now, there's another oxymoron. His worst nightmare was to lose me in the childbirth. It's why he had apprehensions before we had our first child at home which quickly changed his mind, by the way. I had a prenatal appointment with Kaiser midwife before I had the ultrasound. I told her everything I had learned about Akrita. I told her it didn't make sense that I would have it. She nodded her head and said everything I said was true. I couldn't believe it at all. I left that appointment feeling completely failed. Why were they keeping me in the dark so much? Why had I had to educate myself so much? Why weren't they helping me? I had the MRI done and was told I'd have to wait about a week for the results. It was a long week, but I was convinced I didn't have Accreta. It just didn't make any sense. The Kaiser midwife called me six days after the MRI and asked me if I had done the MRI. Okay. Mm -hmm. Silence. Silence. She asked me where the results were, like I should know. I told her I I told her I had had it done, but I was told I'd have to wait at least a week for the results. How? I mean, the midwife was probably conscientiously following up. Maybe she made a note in her calendar to call and find out. But to not like look for the results before you call the woman, mm -hmm. you, you make yourself look foolish. And you certainly yeah. are instilling confidence in your clients when you don't know them. You know, you can't always remember the name of a client when you, before you go in the room, look at her name, look at her husband's name, look at her children's names, walk in and say, hi, Mike and Julie, how's mm -hmm. it going? All right. It makes right. all the difference in the world to use their name. Okay. Yeah. Eight days after the MRI, I was still waiting for the results. And it was the Friday before Martin Luther King weekend which worried me because I figured it would delay me getting the results even longer. <laughs> Here it comes. I reached out to the Kaiser midwife multiple times that day. I sent messages in the online portal and I called. I was so tired of waiting and waiting 
I had been waiting almost a month for my, quote, diagnosis, unquote. Our midwife and doula had been there to support us as much as they could during this time. Our midwife did have to tell us that she legally couldn't work with us to have a home birth if I was diagnosed with a placental issue. I told her I understood and that I wasn't interested in a home birth if that meant endangering me or my baby. All right, here's an example of corporate medicine. A Kaiser nurse responded to an online message I sent and told me I would have to wait another four to five weeks for my MRI results. I was livid. Then a Kaiser nurse from the Kaiser midwife's office called to tell me the same information. She told me I could call radiology to confirm. I asked her why I hadn't been told I would only have to wait one week for the results, and she said she didn't know who said that, but they lied. I went off on her. I told her I knew this wasn't her fault, but it wasn't okay to treat people the way they were treating me. I felt completely alone and in the dark. She told me I thought she thought I needed to speak with the Kaiser midwife. I told her I didn't need to speak with her because she didn't have any information that I already didn't have. 15 minutes later, after ending the phone call with the nurse, the Kaiser midwife called me and said, Carly, we have your MRI results. <laughs> uh, I know well, it wasn't funny for her at the moment. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't funny at the moment, I'm sure. And, and is this, I mean, there'd be better dumb doctor dogma? And really? I'm going to fit story for you. Although I'll tell our listeners that I have not been given this information by Dr. Stu ahead of time. So they're going to tell her that everything is fine. Not quite, but close. Oh, Very close. Well, okay. Okay. Carly, we have your MRI results. She said it joyfully like nothing was wrong. I couldn't believe it at all. She told me that I didn't have an accreta. She said I had a contraction during the ultrasound and likely caused the hypoechoic area of concern. I was speechless. Seriously? That was it? All of this worrying for nothing. I was mad, relieved, but still mad. I probably coughed and triggered a contraction. At this, and this was the result. So maybe that's get back to why she was coughing. She tells the coughing story because that might, because right. coughing does trigger your uterus to contract. It's like tapping your knee with a hammer. It causes, a, you know, it causes the muscle to contract. My husband and I had already discussed seeking a second opinion outside of Kaiser with our out-of-pocket, with our out-of-pocket midwife. She referred us to see maternal fetal medicine specialist, Dr. Emilio Chavira in Linwood, California. I'm 99% sure you both know him because of his work with ICANN and involvement in the breach community. Yes, mm -hmm. we're 100% sure we know him and love him. <laughs> Kaiser also had scheduled me for to get an ultrasound with a maternal fetal medicine specialist within Kaiser. When I asked why, <laughs> the Kaiser midwife said she wasn't sure, but she assumed it was because I had an MRI, so it was just to rule out a Creta. I'm shaking my head. Mm -hmm. And I'm speechless for a second. Okay. My husband and I had an... I know this is long, but everything about this story is great for people to understand the huge difference, first, in the model of care, and then secondly, the value of maybe going outside of your network when you're not happy. Or as the down-to-birth people say, if you come out of your doctor's office feeling like crap, uh, maybe you're not in the right doctor's office. Just like you said, your client told you every time she comes to your appointment, she leaves feeling great. Yeah. And why And why even put yourself through this? Honestly, if you if you don't need any of this, like, is it really worth it to save the money for that 20 week ultrasound for that all of that headache that she had, you know, find somebody that your midwife trusts and go to them. Yep. You know, I know not and pay out of pocket for stuff, but man, when, where there's a will, there's a way. And I've had some pretty low income families who were really committed to being treated with respect and feeling safe that figured it out. And I was a low income mom when I paid for my midwife, I had to do barter, you know, like you can figure it out. This is, you don't have to put yourself into this situation. So my husband, and I had an ultra, my husband and I had an ultrasound and appointment to review the ultrasound with Dr. Chavira. 
And he showed us the ultrasounds and explained that I don't have a creta. He said that my placenta is healthy and medically unremarkable, which, by the way, is a good term. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We are remarkable people, but when our placentas are unremarkable, that's good. I am healthy and my baby is also <laughs> growing healthy. He said he didn't see why I wouldn't have another home birth. It was a relief to hear this, and we were, we were annoyed that we once again had to pay out of pocket for this reassurance. The following day, I had the ultrasound an appointment with the Kaiser MFM. Now, I don't know why she went. I, I don't know. I guess sometimes people just they get on the hamster wheel and they can't get off the hamster wheel. The MFM was incredibly rude and short with me. She entered the room by not introducing herself, but by saying, do you know why you're here today? She should have turned around and said, do you know, do you know why I'm here today? <laughs> do you know why I'm here today? Uh, as if I was a child in trouble with the principal. That's what it sounded like to her. Mm -hmm. I explained that I assumed it was to rule out a creta. She told me that I didn't have a creta or a cyst or a fibroid. She said that I had placental lakes. And they wanted to monitor them to be sure it didn't impact my placenta's ability to provide my baby the nutrition it needs to grow properly. Okay. So do you know what a placental lake is? I assume that that's like where there was a um, subchorionic hemorrhage that no. like has bought. No? No, it's just a spot in the placenta where the blood just kind of swirls around. It's like a, a big dilated vein or a big pooling oh. of blood. Okay. All right. So she went to Google placenta. She went to Google placental lakes to show me. And she was trying to explain. I asked her if she could show me my ultrasound images that had been taken moments prior. She showed me maybe three extremely tiny dots in the images and explained they prefer smooth muscle to be where the dots were. Okay. Now, not going to get too technical here, but Venus Lakes are a normal variant. If she had anything of significance, Chavira would have seen them. And Venus Lakes by themselves, even if they're there, mean nothing. They don't mean anything. Okay. Mm -hmm. Again, is there a slightly higher associated? Yeah, but it's it's so minimal. But again, this is the, the corporate model, the, the medical industrial complex model of medicine is to try to control everything. And in the process of doing so, you're scaring 99 plus percent of people who don't need to be scared because you want to rule out everything. And unlike other systems, I don't think Kaiser makes money from ordering ultrasounds or tests because it's an HMO. So in this particular case, I can't say that this was something the MFM was saying to do simply because they'll make more money on it, because that's not the case. But no, CYA. It's CYA. There you go. She's in, I don't know what the smooth muscle thing is. The placenta, you're talking about the placenta. The placenta doesn't have smooth muscle as far as I know. I mean, I, I don't know what they're talking about. Not um, really. Yeah. She then said my baby's arms and legs were measuring slightly below their normal range, below what they'd like. So I said, but I'm only 28 weeks. Baby is still growing a lot. She continued to suggest that my baby may have Down syndrome, and she'd have to request a copy of my genetic screening records to confirm or deny. Again, a That's perfect stranger, knows nothing about this woman, probably knows nothing about the last six weeks of her prenatal care, walks in, spews random information, all of it fear-mongering. I don't believe I consented to that testing because the baby is what is wanted regardless of the diagnosis. I asked what the baby's weight was to see if she was comparable to what Dr. Javira had told me the day prior. She told me the baby's weight was fine and within normal range, which was confusing to me. I'm not sure exactly. Oh, because the arms were smaller. The, right. Right. Okay. She told me that she read in my file that I had two home births and asked me if I was planning to deliver at home again. After listening to your podcast, I knew better than to share anything more than was necessary with the OB. I told her that my husband and I were still undecided after being provided with so much medically un unknown. So she lied. 
Mm -hmm. right? A little white lie, good lie. Then she said, oh, good job. You've only gained nine pounds, unquote. Good job. Which seriously alarmed me because I've gained 35 pounds in each of my pregnancies and my baby's averages eight pounds and 21 inches. So again, there's no continuity, no familiarity, no relationship. She's just spewing out numbers. Oh, good job. You only gained nine pounds. Well, let's, let's see what that means. I went home to read the after-visit report and saw that she was way off guard. I don't know what she was referencing as my pre-pregnancy weight, but I have gained between 17 to 22 pounds. I'm right where I should be for another healthy pregnancy. Yes. Before the appointment was over, she asked me if I had any questions. And I said, quote, I guess my only question is if my husband and I so choose to have a home birth, am I approved to do so? Unquote. Now, first of all, you and I both know that she doesn't need the MFM's approval. So I'm not sure why this this client would ask that question, but because you're only looking for trouble. Yeah. <laughs> but she said, oh, she wasn't a fan of home birth in general because she's seen, quote, too many bad things, unquote. But she said, I have already done it twice, so she didn't see why I wouldn't have this baby at home. I was shocked and confused. She told me that I need another thorough ultrasound in a month at 32 weeks to monitor the lakes and the baby's growth. I'm currently, we're finishing up here. I'm currently working with my midwife, Jesse to communicate with Dr. Chavira's office and plan our next steps. This has been the most unnecessary, stressful time of my life. I feel so bad mm -hmm. for the baby growing in me because it has to feel all my worry and sadness. Right? I mean, yes, that's true, but you can at any moment connect with your baby and give them lots of love and oxytocin because, you know, things we can't control, like we, we talked about so many times, you can't control everything. So things happen in our lives that cause us stress and anxiety, sometimes fear and sadness. And, you know, that's all part of the human experience as well. So you just take a moment, put your hands on your belly, send your baby lots of love and let them know that you're there for them and you're going to take good care of them and everything's going to be okay. Right. But, but she yeah. really had six weeks of yeah. they found nothing. The ultrasound, the initial ultrasound was normal, but they read into it and they led her down yeah. this unbelievable, talk about a cascade of interventions. This, yeah. is not the, this is not the usual one, but this is one. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you want, I, people are choosing to do things like a wild pregnancy or when we did the last podcast when we talked about ultrasounds, when I talked about, you know, making the decision to not have any ultrasounds for my final pregnancy, because I did not want to go through this kind of experience and I had had it, you know, not to this severity, but I had had similar experiences in the past. And, you know, it's a legitimate choice to make to just not want to deal with all of this because it's a possibility in the system that we exist inside of now. My husband and I feel confident in our choice to have another water birth at home, and we're praying our birth team continues to support us in our decision to do so. I love you, Dr. Stu and Bliss, so much. I know I've never met you, but I feel so strongly connected to you both because of the podcast and the work that you do. I'm so grateful for you interviewing Desiree in episode number 274. Oh, yeah. That episode helped educate me about Akrita a lot. All of your podcasts have touched my soul, and I know they'll continue to help educate me as I work toward becoming a doula and birth coach. Keep sharing the truth about birth. People need to keep being reminded that the pandemic happened and the fight isn't over yet. I love sipping on element and dreaming of holding my baby. And by the way, I'm just going to say, have a beautiful day. And this is from Carly. Held her name back, but I can tell that she doesn't care if we put her name out there. So thank you, Carly. Daughter birth, Carly. And thank you for your, um, for your sharing your story so that everybody can benefit from what you let us know happened. And hopefully the rest of your pregnancy is just beautiful and joyous. Yeah. The scary part about the way this dealt with is that 
every now and then, like a broken clock, these people will be right. And they'll mm -hmm. find something, which in their mind then reinforces the need to continue to do um, all this testing. They don't, mm -hmm. they don't cons consider, they don't, they're not concerned with the, the consequences of the testing when, it's, when the person's normal, but has had to go through all this. Mm -hmm. Because that's not their concern. Their concern is to find pathology. And as you right. said, cover their ass. And, and again, this is, what, this is a classic example of stage one thinking. Um, I'm going to do it because it feels good, but and then asking, not asking themselves, does it actually do good? And in this particular yeah. case, is a perfect example of how it doesn't do anyone any good. Nobody, yeah. better, nobody wins here, except maybe Chavira, who got paid for a consult. <laughs> <laughs> the doctor said something about not being a fan of home birth. And I'm just going to say exact opposite. I'm not a fan of hospital birth. I've seen too many bad things happen there. Right. I could say that same thing. Yeah. And I second, <laughs> I, I second that motion. Yeah. So I do have to go. I got to get on. A, I got to get wrapped up and get on a plane. So we'll have to hold off on the, uh, on the audio voicemail for our next, our, our next time. Yeah, we went way we went way over anyway. I just want to close by saying again to you, Bliss, happy Valentine's Day, belatedly. Uh, happy you, are, you are very dear to me. And, you know, our podcast to me every morning when we do this every Wednesday, it's about connecting and respecting. We respect each other. We respect the individuals we care for. We respect our, we respect our community. And, you know, when I, when I read stuff like that, or when I think about the American Academy of Pediatrics or, or, the AMA, and I think about the pettiness, and I think about the the desire for submission of people to just. Well, I don't. I don't understand that the deny the denial of the natural world, the denial of how things really should be, and why we can't, like you said, all just love each other, respect each other, understand that people are capable of making decisions, and all of us are going to make wrong decisions, and it's not someone else's job, unless maybe you're a parent keeping your kid from playing with matches or running in the street. But it's not our job as, as healthcare professionals to prevent all things that can go wrong. It's our right. job to give information, let people make their choices, respect right. their choices, and support them as best we can. That's our, that's, mm -hmm. that's, that's our calling. That's right. Exactly. Okay. And with that? I love you. And then thank you for all your sweet, sweet words always. And I'll see you on the other side of the world. Yeah, you'll be nine hours behind me a day ahead. <laughs> we figured that out already. Okay, okay, Blister. See you later. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Birthing Instincts podcast. We know that we all lead busy lives, so we are extremely grateful that you give us an hour of your time each week. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for the latest updates and reviews. To help others join us, you can find Dr. Stu at Birthing Instincts and Bliss at Birthing Bliss Midwifery on Instagram. 